He who fights monsters might take care lest he thereby become a monster. And if you gaze for long into an abyss, the abyss gazes also into you. Frederick Nietzsche wrote these words in his 1886 book, Beyond Good and Evil, and this philosophy is at the heart of the 2018 revenge film, Mandy. So join us today as we abandon our better angels and embrace our darkest impulses in this episode of Script or Screen. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another exciting episode of Script or Screen. Thank you for joining us again. I am one of your hosts, Zach Strackman. Joined with me, as always, on every episode is my co-host, Chris Killington Kitchen. That is my name. That is my game. Don't wear it out. <laughs> How are you so, doing today, Zach? I'm doing, I'm doing pretty good. How about you? Uh, dude, we've uh, I, listen. I could be better. I've had a lot of a lot of things happen. We've we've had a pretty busy week. You and I both. Yeah, um, it's been it's been chock full. I know. We uh we we had a fun. Uh, first of all, happy Valentine's Day. Right. Our, our Valentine's Day special going on here. Yeah. So I mean, we're gonna try. This might come out on Valentine's Day. It might come out the day after Valentine's Day. Yeah. Sorry. This was pretty late. I was dealing with my own stuff. Either way, um, love is in the air in the old script or screen part of the neighborhood. Zach, you right. and I actually enjoyed a nice little date recently with my third wheel of a girlfriend. Um, <laughs> we <laughs> we we enjoyed a nice movie, some popcorn. Yes, we saw we saw Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring in 4K IMAX. I. I raved about it on our last episode, and uh, if you it, followed us on social media, you would have seen some photos of our yes. of our our little sneak peek. And in, in our nice socially distant theater, we were like oh one of God. I don't want to say like eight people, six people in that theater. There were maybe like oh, t- uh, ten people in that in, theater. I mean, in, including us three as well. Yeah, exactly. You know? Um, and so yeah, uh, it meant. Every expectation. Listen, I've seen Lord of the Rings more than I have seen some family members, <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I even after you know having seen it so many times, it it met every expectation I had for seeing it back on the big screen in IMAX and stuff. So that was that was a real treat. I'm going back at the end of this week to catch the other two in theaters. Um, so I'm really excited about that. Can I tell you something? I forget which seat. Oh, I remember actually which one it was. Um, you know, like like we just said, we have that movie has been out of theaters for like 20 years now, and and finally go back, and and I'm there with you. And the moment where you know the, the our little Hobbit boys are escaping the ring wraiths, um, oh, yeah. in, in the night, I I still jumped. You launched into the I, ceiling. I almost, dude, like it still got me, and it was, it was almost like a perfect moment, just because like the sound and and everything was just so perfect. The theater was shaking at times. Yes, you know? yeah, like, there was. It um, was oh, it was the, incredible. The particular moment that stood out to me was uh, when Gandalf gets uh, real serious with Bilbo for a minute, and yeah, the whole theater shook. Um, Bilbo Baggins, do not yeah. take me for some cheap conjurer, or whatever he says. 
Yeah, close. I mean, hey, you that, that, you know, not not bad, not bad. Listen, listen. What's the <laughs> capital city of Gondor's Minas Tirith? Um, actually, well, it, we we should play a little of game power. of. We, we, we should uh, play a little game of trivia when we get to our Lord of the Rings episodes. Oh, my and God. You, you will be our, our resident host, and I will have to answer all your questions as best of my ability. You know, that'll ability. be fun. That'll be fun. I um, think so. But, yes, this isn't... Uh, unfortunately, this is not the Lord of the Rings podcast. That will be coming sometime this year. Um, you have my word on that. Um, this is, as we said, our Valentine's Day episode. And um, to all of our lovely listeners who are, you know, maybe cozying up around the fire uh, with their loved one uh, and deciding that the best ambiance for a night together is our dulcet tones, uh, we say thank you. Please put us on your Alexa. We're also, I mean, listen, Zach, I don't know if you heard, but we're now available on Amazon Music. I mean, some people had their Alexas tuned into, uh, you know, their iTunes and their iClouds and their Spotify's, but now you can just listen to us directly through your home um, monitoring services. Well, I don't know what you call those things. Your home assistants or whatever. Uh, Robot butlers. Whatever they are, please, lovely listeners, like us, follow us, share us. We are available on all your listening platforms. We're available on scripterscreen.com, anchor.fm forward slash scripterscreen. You can check us out, find your favorite platform. And our pages are at scripterscreen. That's Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, all the good stuff. You know, please yeah. enjoy us, play us throughout your households, and uh, just annoy your neighbors. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Annoy your neighbors. They'll learn to love us. I Everyone think so. does eventually. And uh, speaking of love, so when I was kind of like coming up with a game plan for us for uh 2021 i was kind of you know i would look at the the calendar and say what what uh holidays are coming up and like obviously valentine's day was like one of the easy ones like i i didn't even have to try hard for that i'm like oh yeah we'll we'll just pick some some you know lovey-dovey rom-com movie something something easy and not too complex to um to cover but as it turns out um we we had our very first um listener uh uh suggestion and it was too good to pass up uh the suggestion comes from uh my sister actually my sister grace and her uh her husband my brother-in-law and they told they said hey valentine's day you should you should review mandy dude what a great suggestion. And if you would like to suggest a, a future project that we may be interested in, you can comment on any of the posts that you see on any of our pages, send us messages, and we will gladly take those into consideration. Yeah, so... Um, it, it's know, good I've, that your sister picked this one because this is actually a very... Uh, it was all on the top of my list already of movies I need to watch. Yeah, I, I as soon as I saw the trailers for this one, Back in what twenty early twenty eighteen or twenty seventeen, it was one of those things. Where I was like, "Oh my god, I gotta see this!" And I, I don't know what happened. I just never got around to seeing it. I, I um, remember what happened. I, what I actually happened? can tell you exactly what happened because at the time, um, this was not like a wide release film. You know, like this film was limited release and in, in certain theaters, and you couldn't actually go see it in a lot of different places. Like it had a wide release, but it wasn't too big. Like. I didn't see this in any AMC's or Regals or 
hmm. Alamo Draft Houses or anything like that. It played in very small theaters like Coral Gables Art Cinema. There's actually um, one in, in Boca Raton, like a smaller cinema that I saw as well. At least, I mean, we're talking in the South Florida locale kind of regions. Yeah. Um, and it, it was always kind of a like a hassle to kind of just go and find tickets for these theaters and things like that because not all these places have it available on the applications and all that you know, 21st century business. Um, so it, it did kind of fall underneath the radar until it, it reached streaming services, not streaming, but like video on demand services of a few months, like a lot shorter kind of turnaround than, than most films have like with right. the theater run, um, which was interesting, but still, I mean like it, it, yeah, it did take me a while as well to, to sit you know, down we call and that, watch it. We but, call that a cult classic. Yeah. Uh, it did. I, I mean, dude, it made and, Sunday. Hey, actually, no really pun intended. No pun intended on oh. that, because uh, that's uh, the subject matter of this film. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's. Um, <laughs> listen, I don't know what you can say. I, I don't know. Do you um, do you remember uh, like critical hype around this movie as it was being like promoted? Yes. Yeah, so, like, um, the one thing that uh, stood out for me, obviously, when I first heard about this movie, was, oh, it's it's a crazy violent film with Nicolas Cage, and I said. Well, you've already sold me, but then, (laughs) (laughs) and then, um, word started coming through that there, people were saying, this is maybe Nicolas Cage's best performance ever. And I said, you know, I guess this is maybe billed as a horror movie, even though it's not scary. Um, but I've said it before. I don't go out of my way to see horror movies unless I hear like, they are like, like, amazing yeah I and agree. i w- i wanted to see this that bad because people were talking like talking up um nicholas cage like occasionally he just he just ha- he shows his his genius for acting um and then most of the other times it's just he's kind of phoning it in for a paycheck um but can you I'm- blame the man he lost an island he lost an island because he wasn't smart with his money, and he and he had to just you know he had to he had to kind of reformat how he took uh, movie roles, which means taking every movie role available. So, so when I first heard about the movie, um, and I, I heard this this whole bit about Nicolas Cage like best performance, I'm like, wow, really? Because I mean, a lot of people like I mean, he's kind of like a meme at this point. Yeah, and absolutely. he's also like versus early in his career, I guess people took him a lot, you know, a little more seriously. Like right. I have his Rotten Tomatoes open right now, and Mandy is, let's see, from the top one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine is like the his ninth top rated film on on the tomato meter kind of scale. At I mean, least that he, has his involvement. Yeah, he's got some outstanding performances. He's won an Academy Award, so I mean, yeah. Versus like some of the other things now, people are just like, "Oh, he's exaggerated," or it's just not necessarily fitting as an actor. I don't know. I feel like I think I feel like sometimes his um his persona um kind of gets in the way. Yeah, like you know, people go in and they expect him to be crazy, and they expect him to to deliver lines in a really bizarre way and stuff, mm-hmm. and. Um, I see that, but I'm you know, no. I, I, I think this movie really did play to some of his strengths as an absolutely, actor. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I heard a, a, a criticism about this film the other day as I was speaking to a, a close uh, a friend about th- that. I just saw this, 
And he said, you know, I remember when that movie came out, I was just afraid that it was just going to be all kind of like visual spectacle just for the sake of, of spectacle, just like hard, like hardcore violence, like hyper light reaction and just all this, this crazy detail. And I told him like, dude, like, you know, on the surface, maybe that's what it, it seems like. And there's just a lot of hype built up off of that. But right. I think this film has a lot more to offer um, in terms like contextually, like what the film is saying. And then as well as like how they managed to do everything like with technique in the production itself, um, that you can see in other aspects of the film, like its use of editing, um, its use of cinematography outside of um, just, you know, the lighting plans and things like that. But like right, just right. the movements of the camera, you know, the art direction. Uh, honestly, I was really surprised that I liked it for all these reasons that uh, were not something I was thinking about before. Because, I, I mean, I'll tell you what, the allure of the, the, the contrast of the lighting and just Nick Cage saying, like, crazy evil was just so attractive to me. I'm like, yeah, oh, this is awesome. But I'm also uh, a scaredy cat, dude. I am prone to nightmares. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Like I, I mean, as an adult, I still can't watch scary movies without thinking about them for years on end. That and, honestly, I think that's my the mark. Of, that's the mark of a good horror movie. I feel that it makes me dwell on it long after the fact. But yeah, we here at Scripture Screen are big babies, and we're not <laughs> we're not afraid to admit it. Um, <laughs> And, uh, uh, you know, hey, but you know what? We're sponsored by Pampos. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, but this wasn't that scary. It was actually really no, not at friggin all. awesome. As a fan of, like, really, like, hardcore, like, death metal art, I I thought some of the visuals in this movie were awesome. Are you a fan of death metal art? Like the whole like, like, like kind of swirling album, trees and like yeah like album covers and stuff you know if if it's artistic if it's just like crazy blood for blood's sake I don't know I it I I like it that's that's my statement I cool. I like it cool <laughs> um and this I movie enjoy some Iron of, Maiden you know what I'm saying yeah I mean like I I feel I dug the aesthetic of this whole film I, I but, did too. Uh, but let's let's kind of dig in a little bit. So, Mandy is a 2018 revenge psycholog- psychedelic action horror film directed by uh, Greek Canadian film director Panos Cosmatos. Um, have you seen his one other film that he made? Beyond the Black Rainbow? No, I have not. I've heard a lot about it. I've heard it's very stylistically similar to Mandy, but like from all the things I've heard, it is considerably less accessible than Mandy. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you what, this movie only made like 50 grand in the box office, uh, like over it's like $1 million budget, but it was, I mean, it was his first what, uh, film. Oh, oh beyond, beyond the black, yeah, rainbow. Beyond the black rainbow. It was made okay. what? 10 years ago, 11 years ago at this point. 10. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know how it was reviewed, though, in comparison. The reception, I don't think it was re- received as well as something like Mandy, though. I think Mandy really kind of put him back on the map. Um, though I haven't heard yeah. of him, a- another piece coming from him as of yet. Right, right. But, Thanos. Um, but you know, he wrote, uh, he did He did the story for it, and he wrote, um, he, he wrote the screenplay along with uh, Aaron Stewart on... And uh, music 
by the late Johan Johansson. Ah, rest in peace. Yes, this film was dedicated to him. Uh, you know, he, I, I, I think we should also give a special shout out to another film great we lost that has nothing to do with this film, but like in the last week we learned about Christopher Plummer's passing. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, an absolute legend uh, that Hollywood lost. Uh, of course, uh, I would say uh, most recently our audience would know him from Knives Out. Yeah. Uh he was he was kind of the patriarch of the family. But I mean, God, where to begin about someone like Christopher Plummer? His his acting is is his his list of works is so vast. Yeah. He was uh I don't know, he was a he was a treasure. Um yep. but he was at, as by his family and you know what? We wish them the best and we will remember him for all of his great uh contributions. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Now back to Mandy. Now back to back to our regularly scheduled Mandy. Um, yeah, Johan Johansson um, really just brought his his a game to this. You know, very interesting synthy um, kind of sound. Um, very, I don't want to say like uh, drug induced, but very. Uh, it had that kind of that feel to it of almost like a. I, I, I want. I don't know. I want to say he's it. he's kind of like the. I don't want to say the king of depressing music because that's <laughs> not what it is. But it it's like he knows how to. How to really hyperbolize woefulness and also somberness and just hmm. all these kind of emotions into, not not just like synth but also like kind of. Um, I mean, I guess we get we get a lot of that that kind of '80s inspiration um, in this film, but in some yeah. of his earlier albums and works. Uh, funny enough, I'll give this anecdote now. When I was in film school, I used a track of his for one of my shorts, um, like okay. my my junior year, and I spent hours looking for the right track. Um, and it wasn't until I found his list of you know his body of work, I'm like, oh, dude, these all these songs are perfect. Um, yeah, he, so I, was, I, mean, I was really saddened at his passing. He actually passed away um, during the time that like this film was being promoted. I think right before it came out. Right. Um, I was super super sad about that. So, but yeah, I mean, just he he had you know his mark on this film is is you know pretty pretty great. He really this was such a good you know stitching together of so many very artistic minds and like I feel like if anyone but Johan Johansson had done the score for this it wouldn't have been the same yeah um, um I, I, th- I think he definitely did leave his uh his contribution um and it's it made it even better it's a shame that this film was unable to um kind of be considered for academy nominations because I think that the score definitely would have been considered um, and, and he would have been up in the running, but because of a, a BS technicality, in my opinion, um, they were they were not unable to to be eligible for that. Mm-hmm. It, it was because the film went to uh, video on demand before its theater releases were were finished. Um, okay. Yeah, it was. It's super dumb. Um, well, yeah, that is a little. I, I, as I understand it, the whole like award circuit, a lot of the politics there are very weird i think who was it 
I, I think Kevin Smith had an interesting uh, talk about, like, you know, in an interview about the, the kind of the hoops you have to jump through to get recognized by the Academy and get them to consider your picture, your actor, or whatever. Um, uh. But uh, but anyway, um, the cinematography for this uh, was done by Benjamin Loeb, who, uh, you know, hey, Benjamin, I'm not too familiar with your work outside this film, but way to go, dude. Like, this this movie was wild. Yeah, it had a lot of great movements. Um, like I said, there's, like, a lot of subtle camera moves, but also, I mean, just, like, the lighting, the light plotting was excellent. I, I wanted to give a, another shout-out to uh, the gaffer, uh, Dirk Van Rampelberg. I think that's how you say his last name. That does um, look like how you spelled it. Um, but... I mean, because what is a, a great DP without his awesome gaffer and electric and grip crew? Um, you you got to give credit where credit is due because magic happens when they all work together. Right, and, exactly. Uh, I mean, uh, movies don't just come out of the ether. The you know, there's a whole host of of people and names attached to them that you don't really uh, that I feel don't always get the the spotlight. Yeah, but um, I I think uh, Benjamin Loeb or Loeb. Um, however you say his last name, he actually worked on a right. project that's getting a lot of uh, praise right now, um, or it praised in the last year, uh, Pieces mm-hmm. of a Woman, uh, which is being, or it was nominated for Best Performance by an Actress by Vanessa Kirby, who was on The Crown um, in the first two seasons as, um, as okay. uh, Margot, uh, Princess Margot, if you will. And, gotcha. and so it's, it's, it's getting up there, it's getting some nominations, it was on Netflix, um, but I mean, he also does a lot of work in, in shorts and I think he's done some other, um, films as well, but yeah, he's, a he's, he's a working man. You know, he's, he's getting his name out there and he's definitely involved in Good a lot of you. different type of projects, but yeah, cinematography was awesome. The lighting was fantastic. Um, I think like I said earlier, like that was part of the allure of this movie. That's why people wanted to go see it. They're like, what yeah, is this I, about? That's everybody was talking like the visuals in this movie uh you need to see it for almost that alone um but let's see so this was is a movie's about two hours long had a budget of six million um and a box office return of 1.4 million like you said it kind of got a pretty limited release um and i think you know part of you know that limited release has led to it kind of gaining a cult status you know there's People who who know Mandy, people who don't. Um, but uh, I'm I'm glad I have now, you know, taken the the dive to be uh, to have seen this film and understand it, and you know, witness its uh, its really cool uh, aesthetic. It, I I finished watching it. And I said, man, I really wish I could have seen this on a big screen in a dark theater. Dude, I, I I mean they could take my four dollar rental and take those uh, royalties because it was well deserved. <laughs> and that's the thing I'm wondering how much this film actually made in terms of its on demand streaming because I know that the the six million dollar number doesn't or does six, excuse me the one point four million dollar uh, number doesn't represent that part of the uh, of its right. revenue. It's so I'm really a... hoping it 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 kind of gauged uh, some sort of substantial numbers, but I, I'm not sure how much streaming really does in terms of um, mm. 
in terms of all that. But yeah, it was. Uh, so I'm I'm really glad that critics uh, were really into it. Um, yeah, and, and they rated it as as well as they did. Like on Rotten Tomatoes right now, it stands at a ninety percent uh, fresh, and you know the audience score is a little lower at sixty six percent. And I think I know why. And we're gonna get into that when we discuss like the pieces of this film because I think yeah. you know uh, audiences go into something a little differently. The versus critics, they look try to look I think, at a more objective. I think you. I think if if you tell the average Joe citizen on the street, hey, here's a movie about Nicolas Cage being crazy and killing people and it's really violent and stuff and and wild, I think people go in with an expectation. Yeah. And when the movie ends up being a lot more carefully made and... Expressionistic you know, in a way. Yeah, and maybe maybe a little bit indulgent. I think when you have all those things, I think people start going, well, hold, wait... wait. <laughs> What? That's not what I came for. Yeah. Um. But that's okay. Uh, I hope that you know. Listen, I went in with that attitude. That's what the movie was going to become. Um. And it turned out it became a movie that I liked even more because it wasn't that. Exactly. Exactly. So let's look at this cast. Obviously, we've been talking him up. Nicholas Cage as Red Miller. Nicholas Cage. What? What can? What can be said about him? He is a, a Hollywood icon he, he is he is a coppola first and foremost i yeah, mean that's right he, he's he's one of the uh of of the five hollywood families if you will the, the illustrious coppola uh dynasty but um he actually i i one of those things i just i only found out now when we were when i was doing my, like research for this episode that nicholas cage he changed his name and uh you know he he wanted a stage name and he chose Cage as his last name uh, based off Luke Cage from Marvel Comics. That's awesome. I like that. Yeah. It's like, catch me if you can. Um, but that was with The Flash. Right, yeah, with, um, what do you call himself, Barry Allen? Barry Allen. Um, um, so we got uh, Andrea Riseborough as Mandy Bloom, the, the uh, ep- eponymous character of the film. I liked her makeup in this. Yeah, she had the you know the the scar and scar whatever and they were doing to her eyes. They they really like made her look. Uh, how did you describe it? Like a, a flower girl turned metalhead. Um, yeah, like like kind of like a she probably you know this movie's set in like eighty three, so like you know maybe a decade before she was, she probably would have fit in closely with the with the antagonists of the film, but. She's, you know, had time to live her life and has grown, in, you know, into a new phase of her uh, self and her style. So, yeah, uh, definitely is a character that you, you feel has, a you know, a, a lot of background, a lot of history. Yeah. Um, we got Linus Roach as Jeremiah Sand. You mean Thomas Nolan? Uh, Thomas Nolan, uh, Thomas Wayne <laughs> from the Nolan Batman franchise. That's right. That's right. Uh, have you Papa seen Wayne him? himself? Have you seen him in a lot of other uh, works outside of? Um, Not really. I mean, I'm trying to think of where else I, I may have seen him. I have Let's his. See. I have his uh, IMDb right here, just in case. Um, and I'm not sure he was in Homeland, the TV show, but I never watched okay. that. Um, 
I have and, not seen. Oh, he was, I guess he was in Barry, but is this Barry as in the? Uh, no. Oh, this was Barry the uh, the Barack Obama film or show. It's film hmm. on um on Netflix. But um. Uh, but yeah, I mean that was the one thing I knew him from was uh, Batman Begins. Yeah, that's the only thing I knew him from, and this is not the only Batman Begins or Batman Nolan Batman reference in this right. episode. And I'm super excited about the next one. <laughs> So okay, we got a uh, Bill Duke as Carruthers. Uh, Bill Duke. Did they ever mention his name in character, like his character's name? Maybe I don't know, but Bill Duke. I, I mean, what an awesome actor! I, I think the movie I know him best from is uh, Predator. Uh, Predator. He played um, oh, what was his name? Elliot or something? Mac. Mac. And... Oh, you mean like Mac? How the hell are you? And then they go and slap hands or no? That was um. Oh, that was Carl Weathers' character. Um, Can I tell you something? Huh? I've never seen the original Predator. Oh, my God. <laughs> Dylan. Dylan, you son of a bitch. Dylan, that's what it is. <laughs> oh, God. I know the meme, but it doesn't. That's, oh, that's Carl Weathers. This is actually super interesting. Uh, apparently, he was also Trask in X-Men Last yes. Stand. Yes, so he was, he was the first attempt at Boulevard Trask in the X-Men movies before... They brought Boulevard Trask into like a proper antagonist role with um, Peter Dinklage. Dude, I don't even remember that. That's yep. insane. He's and like I think in like it, one scene in that movie. I think I'll I'll tell you what. I don't know if I remember it because I don't think they have Last Stand on Disney Plus right now. And I rewatched some of the X Men movies rather recently. Not? Hold on. Yeah, I, I, I that. I think I, they if they have it, then they added it after the fact. I'd already watched them, but I watched X Men and X Two. And then I watched um, Days of Future Past, and then I I did not I watched First Class as well. I didn't watch. Um, they do not have X Men Three. They'll, on... they'll add it soon enough. Like they don't have I, Logan either. I mean, we're not we're not missing out. It's not exactly a, a good movie, but um, uh, yeah. So I feel like that's like really it as far as like the the big like notable actors in this everyone else i have to admit i'm not super familiar with richard brake as the chemist oh you mean brown um, eyes in the yeah. mandalorian season two yes yeah and uh i'm trying to think of like who else like who what what else i've seen him in um but nothing really comes like, mind. oh he was in game of thrones okay that's right he played so he I don't think you would recognize him from Game of Thrones because he was the Night King for seasons like four and five. Oh, oh! Before they Which had like, like the the physical actor, like the guy. Basically, who all the he movements. was the Night King. He was the Night King who did the thing where he lifted his arms that became a meme. Yeah, that was I him. And then they about. switched. They switched to a different actor they, uh, they, to play the Night King. I, I thought they chose like the Night King stunt double to then like keep playing him after the it, fact. Basically, yeah. Yeah. He, he was he was like the head cor- uh, choreographer for the show. Okay. Oh well, that's. I mean, honestly, Richard Brake. Uh, I like you as these creepy guys. Anyway, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, um, I guess Night King was kind of a creepy guy. Yeah, you know, kind of. But um, so yeah. I, I oh, mean, he was also in Kingsman. He was the interrogator. Uh when they were doing like the initiation for them to be in Kingsman. Was that Remember the one that? where they suck air out of the toilets? No. Well, it was like the later part where like the train was going to run over them unless they said, what's Kingsman? <gasps> oh, right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So okay. super small roles, you know, 
but you know he's he left his mark here um and then you know we could discuss like every actor who's in this movie but like a lot I, of them i are think just those are of, all the main ones yeah that's the, it, that's the ones who really leave a mark um the, the rest are just like the children of the new dawn if you will the this right cult. so let's let's dig in because um what i think we both kind of um, feel like we really liked about this movie obviously we talked we've talked about the music we've talked about the use of color um the it, it they used a kind of like an artificial way of making um, it look like film grain. Oh yeah. Um, actually I, I almost felt like they filmed it on like 16 millimeter cameras. not quite like 35 millimeter that you see, which is, I, I guess almost the standard, if not like digital, you know, mm-hmm. our IMAX format, like 16 millimeter is a lot. It's a lot more, um, uh, I don't want to say like authentic, but it's definitely like a lot more grainy, um, and and it has that feel. I feel like a lot of these '80s um, horror films also kind of met or were shot on 16. Um, but then I I saw it, and they just used a common camera kind of in in the film world, which is the uh, the Arri Alexa. Um, okay. And um, th- what they did is instead with the Arri Alexa, they also kind of coupled it with a Panasonic anamorphic format. And so, mm-hmm. the, you know, they got, like, their wide images when they wanted, but then they, you know, they just kind of add the grain, you know, in the editing room and at the you end. Know. So, it's a great cheat. Um, and I was <laughs> super fooled because I thought, wow, they really shot this in 16. Like, that's super cool. Like, oh, man, this looks really underground, really raw and everything like that. Um, so, they got me. I got, got Yeah, me. but, hey, even if it is an artificial, like, the fact that, you know, they went for that aesthetic, I think, you know, obviously this was a big send-up to the grindhouse films of the 70s and 80s yeah and uh it definitely had that feel um i know there's a couple of points in the movie uh especially in the back half where certain stunts um and and shots are made almost i want to say like um purposefully hokey so that way it you know to almost sell that like vintage uh grindhouse film uh, feel to it um but yeah, the other thing I think we both liked is that the three acts of this movie are in three separate like named sections. Oh, kind of. It was really interesting. I like the name of the first one, right? Like the what was it? Like the Shadow, Shadow Mountains, the Shadow Mountains. Yeah, I was like, oh, they're doing like chapter separations. Like this is. Yeah. I mean, listen, I've said it. I I haven't said it on the podcast, but I'll say it now. Any film that uses chapter separation, for the most part. I, has always been regarded as a really great film. Yeah, like name name seventeen of them. Go. Uh, uh, Inglorious Bastards. Uh, ten five, seconds. Uh, ten. Uh, Sixteen nine, other Tarantino movies. Eight, there you go. Seven. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so it was cool. Uh, I really like that. The other ones are uh, the Children of the New Dawn and Mandy. And finally, Mandy. It also like we, we also get, get like get the our, title text and everything. Yeah, like an hour into the movie. I, you know, I was I wanted to write. I, I had it written in my notes that are off screen um, mm-hmm. that I didn't share with you. That like, oh, very uh, Stranger Things like, and I'm like, well, I mean, Stranger Things and this are both based off of like, you know, just the 80s and I guess kind right, of 70s right. in general. So that's wrong. But you know, I liked I liked that. That was a uh, I think the um, well, how do you how would you call it? Like the way that they use like their fonts and everything. Uh, yeah, it's very, very nice. No, nostalgic. Yeah, you know, um, like nostalgia is is sometimes good uh, if done well, and this was if, a, a case of it being done well. You know, right? 
Um, but, you know, we open up on our main character, even though he, you know, the movie is named after uh, Mandy. Red is basically our 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 protagonist. He's a logger. He, like, works in, like, a you know, tree-cutting logging company. He knows his way around a chainsaw, which will come back, uh, be, that'll be important down the line. And then I wanted to note this. He is offered a beer at the beginning of the movie when he and his, uh, fellow loggers are on their way back, uh, from their job and he turns it down. So that's an interesting thing. We start just small uh, character, a small character beat, you know? Yes. One that will speak volumes to the, the change we've seen in him by the end. So, uh, do we want to uh, hit these people with a, a just a brief synopsis? Oh, real quick? that's right. Oh my God, how could I forget about our handy dandy synopses? It's all good. This synopsis of Mandy, the 2018 film, comes to us brought to you by the Internet Movie Database, IMDb.com, um, and it states: uh, the enchanted lives of a couple in a secluded forest are brutally shattered by a nightmarish hippie cult and their demon biker henchmen propelling a man into a spiraling, surreal rampage of vengeance. So that is very on point. I think that's the best synopsis we've had uh, for anything. Here we go, covered. guys. Air horns. It's the best one that we've ever yep, done yep, on the yep, show yep. and ever read aloud. Uh, let me ask you something. This is kind of like the Pacific Northwest in a way. I feel like it's kind of got to be. Yeah, I mean, the Shadow Mountains, I think that's California. Oh, is that like an actual... Place. Shadow Mountains Mount. are in the Mojave. Yeah, the Mojave is Eastern uh, California. Yep, yep. That makes sense. So, okay, California, but yeah, the Pacific. Um definitely we see San those, Bernardino County. The forests there and stuff. Um I like how you know it talks about, you know, the enchanted lives of a couple. They really do have this uh sort of uh I don't want I don't know if enchanted's the word I want to use, but it but it's it almost it feels surreal because they're like out in the middle of nowhere when they you know when they're home. It's like they're they're, they're alternative music but personified. You know <laughs> they they uh, they when they're sleeping they're like bathed in purples uh, and, and these kind of blues and like yeah you know red and it's like they always have their lava lamps on all the time and they read just like counterculture novels and. And right, so of the, sword, the, the like... novel that the novel that Mandy is reading, which is called um, what is it? In the Eye, oh, where is it? I wrote it down here. Um, in the Seeker in the Serpent's Eye, it's not a real book, and it's actually one of the names of the tracks uh, by uh, Johansson for this movie. So uh, I, my my thought is like, what did you think about like the total like art direction in this film? Because there was a I lot of, it. I mean, there, yeah, there was a lot of just this. I, I'm I'm trying to get to the uh, the production design. Hubert mm-hmm. Pooley, I I could be pronouncing this name wrong. Pooley Pooley. Um, I, I'm not familiar with this with this uh, person by name, but again, a lot of work. It looks like that they've done. Uh, nothing necessarily stands out in my brain, but I mean, they've been working since the 84 till I mean, till now pretty much right uh, on a bunch of different projects. Uh, and they really looked like they, they filled it with the dreams of, I don't know, maybe me when I was trying to be like a 16 year old, 15 year old, you know, like, I don't want to say counterculture youth, but like, you know, <laughs> I was just kind of hanging out with my friends, wearing my hoodies, with like my, my music in my ears and, and shit like that. And, 
I don't know. It's just kind of, they're living like the dream lives of kind of people that have just separated themselves from society and just are really trying to also live off the land. But I, I don't say that literally, but more like, um, just being they're, each they're, other's they're company. They, they are almost like people, you know, of the earth sort of. She, yeah. Mandy, Mandy spends her days painting these like abstract, uh, like fantastical pictures, uh, uh, very very bizarre like amalgamations of creatures and and shapes and stuff and it's uh like i said it's kind of reminiscent of some like album covers you might see and in, uh, in certain genres i mean and also a lot of these um a lot of these uh, i mean moments of these characters and like you know these settings that were shown they're they're also heightened by like the technique they're like imploring in this film like they're they're using like a lot of neorealism like long takes you know like characters are are discussing and exploring like introspective thoughts with each other you know right um, yeah the way want... they the way they discuss about things and the camera will just hold on them it it allows them to it allows the performance with all of the characters vulnerabilities to shine through it, I mean, it really does. And I mean, I, you pointed out to me earlier, like really like the, the context of what they're talking about too, it really just kind of sets the tone and like we're, we're putting this odd situation, which is why like, you know, I feel like it's moments like these that people were like, what the hell is this movie? Um, right. And you know, it's, it's not this, that's not like the psychedelic horror shit that we all signed up for, but it's, it's something I feel like um, as a, not as a cinephile, um, about movies that like I really enjoy, like dude, I was surprised. I was not expecting that. Um, I kind of like seeing this in films. We talked a couple episodes about uh, David Lowry, right? He has this new movie, The Green Knight, coming out. Oh but yeah. The movie, the movie I mentioned in that um, episode was uh, a ghost story, right? Okay. Which was yeah. full of moments like this between Rooney Mara and Casey Affleck, and and I mean, uh, I was just like amazed, like dude, like they're doing like a five minute long take, and it's just. That's that's what it is. Like what I mean, that takes a lot, dude. Um, yeah, it's on, on. it's it's fantastic. I think it's the the mark of a of a really good filmmaker and really good actors that they masterful technique. Right, right, and I feel like because like all of these moments are so important because it it lets us know who these people are, but it also it builds in you and you you start to really you know when when hits the fan not not much later uh you really feel for them because you've seen them kind of just living their lives like you see them out on the boat you see them uh you see mandy she works like a job at a corner store um and and you just you get to see them exist for a while uh you get to see them talk about which of their plan which of the planets is their favorite and like uh, Red makes a comment about how Galactus is his favorite because he devours planets. Yeah, um, was, I mean that was your special shout out. Uh, <laughs> I, saw, I saw you wrote that down. I yeah, mean, I, I, I definitely liked when uh, Mandy was mentioning that they lived on a, or around Crystal Lake. I'm like, hey, Friday the Thirteenth in there, and I it's, love the the TV that they just watch together and just like the shit that just shows. Yeah, um, which um, is it's some sort of slasher film that's just right on there. Yeah, um, and I mean that's another thing. Like you get to see them. They just they sit. They watch old movies together. They, they. There's. I don't. I want to. Would you call to, them like, old movies if the film takes place in 1983? Was it or 86? True. 
That's true. But I, I do want to. I do want to jump toward the almost the very end of the film because there is a moment when, after all the crazy shit has happened, uh, we do get a flashback of when Red and Mandy first met, and it's at a crowded like biker bar, mm-hmm. and you see Red and he sees Mandy, and every the scene is is shot with um. I think pretty natural colors, but it's the moment he sees her that suddenly the scene becomes bathed in these reds and blues or purples, these very heavy uh, colors that, that we have seen for the entire film before. And it's, it's almost like, you know, his whole world changed when he met Mandy. Yeah. And And, and it's a direct reflection of that. Like, which is why it's, it's that, thematically like those colors are so important for the rest of the film i mean funny enough if if you think about it also like in another type of metaphor you always hear about people saying like oh when i when i saw your mother in the room or when i when i took my first look at them it's like everything else just faded away and and Mm -hmm. they just encapsulated me and and that is that moment you know and it's it's also i mean after like you said it's it's at the very end of the film that we get that that realization and uh i don't know it's just such a perfect moment as well, and and it brings on the big sad, Zachary. It brings well, yeah, on because <laughs> I was gonna say what you know we were talking all about all this lovely stuff, this this happy couple just living their idyllic life in this you know cabin in the woods, um, and you know for 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 our Valentine's Day episode, and it's and it's it's wonderful, but we start to get these little hints that something. That there is something malevolent out there, something out in the world that's just not right. I, Mandy has these the dream of her walking through the woods and seeing the the dead uh, fawn. Yeah, and which you know start to get these kind of like nightmarish images that that you know you don't know what, but something is just not right in the world. Yeah, I mean, I, I I loved the kind of juxtaposition compared to Red's dream, where he's like, oh, I can't remember my dream. To it, yeah. And at, at some point I was hoping it was going to come back to us at the very end, like, was this all just his dream? Uh, that uh, was not the case. Um, yeah. But I I think, I mean, we, we get our introduction of our antagonists. And, yeah. and oh, this... Um... Sorry. One thing, sorry, yeah. One thing, real fast. I just wanted to to touch on. Um, actually, no, no, you're right because uh, we do I, we do get our our. Uh, wait, I'm trying to think. Do we get? Was it uh before we meet them or after we meet them? Though we hear the story about the starlings. Um, I think the starling thing happens. Is that before? Because the only thing I wanted to touch on that is, you know, over the past few days since I've seen that movie, uh, Mandy, <laughs> that I, you know, I, I sit and I think about the things that I've, that maybe didn't make sense to me at first and, you know, maybe are there for the interpretation. And, uh, you know, Mandy tells a story about how her father took a bunch of baby starlings that, she uh that she and her friends love to see flying around and he beat them to death in front of her and then made the kids join in and 
beat the birds to death and she couldn't handle it. She ran away. And I find it interesting that, you know, going forward, we're going to see another character basically be given, handed the chance to engage in savagery and accept it, uh, just, you know, without, without question, basically. And how it almost is a, you know, if Mandy survived this film, spoiler, she dies. Um, but I feel like she wouldn't want Red to go down the path he goes down. But, um, but I, I feel that, that for, you know, if maybe the roles are reversed, Mandy would not have followed the path that Red goes down. I want to come back to that by the end of the film. Okay. But because you know what I, and I wrote it down just now because I have a thought about that, mm-hmm. but I think it'll make more, my thought will make more sense once we've kind of discussed, discussed it. So at the end of our notes, I have it written down here because okay. I do want to, uh, should, should uh, I peek? Should I peek? No, no, no. I just, I just wrote the question there uh, oh, just okay. so that I, I can kind of further explain it. Cause I didn't write down my ex- explanation just yet, but you're, gotcha. I mean that is that is an interesting thought. Like if if the roles were reversed, wh- how would how would they react? Or what? I mean, what is her thought towards him doing that? Um, so but yeah, so yeah. In order for us to get there, we, we got to meet our people. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we we you know the introduction of the antagonists of this film. Um, it's it's like any other, uh, which starts with a simple drive in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, dude, it's, um, I don't know. How do we describe Jeremiah Sands and the children of the new dawn? Well, I, I wrote it here. Uh, they give off some real heavy, uh, Manson family vibes. They are a hippie cult who they follow one figurehead and they basically worship the ground he walks on. Yeah. Um, which, you know, we see some interesting dynamics play out with how he treats the different members of the cult. There's a matriarch, Mother Mabel, and she, or no, Mother Marlene, excuse me. And she, I mean, she worships him almost, almost like a god. And he doesn't give a shit about her. He, yeah, he is he very does, dismissive of her. He's not the time of day. Right, but then, like, uh, there's a Brother Swan, who I feel is much more... He's he's allowed to be more involved with the goings-on of the cult. Yeah. And Sand, Jeremiah, whatever we want to call him, treats him with a lot more respect yeah. and, and reverence. And I think this all goes toward... Um, Jeremiah's character and how he views women. Uh, and I think this is common. If you read about some of these cults of personalities, um, where one person is, is in charge and people worship him. I feel like it's very common that you hear that these people are, they, they prey on their, on their flock you know? Yeah. And, I, it's less of like a trope 
I, more of like it's, it's almost like a, it's an actual common occurrence right from what right. we've so, seen for the most part you know yeah so like a lot of times i know manson was like this people you know he would get the women of the cult to sleep with him and stuff and and he would almost like you know they they claim ownership of these people especially of the women and we see that with sand where he views women like like his property um and he views the men like extensions of him of his like i don't i don't want to say extensions of himself but extensions of his his influence you know um, I want to kind of go back and talk about Linus uh, Roach or Roche. Mm. What, what, what did we agree on as pronunciation? I Roach. Because you know what? Like, like I only saw him in Batman that I can remember. And to mm-hmm. have such a small role and then to kind of have, like, to see him in this uh, situation um, in this character, dude, like, he, he was kind of scary. And, like, also a dick at the same time. And I... I felt every necessary emotion uh, that he, he put out. Like he was super convincing. Um, very punchable he, face. This one, <laughs> <laughs> and he, you know, he he is intimidating right up until the point that he isn't. And and there is a clearly like there is a line in the sand, basically, no pun intended. But um, oh, there's there's a couple of things that it's just like. <laughs> Like his reaction, where, where the veil drops, and you're like, "Oh, you're just, you're just a pathetic dude." Yeah, and it's so all, like, and it's in, and it's in front of his uh his people too. Well, I mean, yeah, we'll we'll get to that part. But so like, yeah, let's let's uh let's kind of break down. So we we they they drive by Mandy right, and they yeah. see her, and there does that one like freeze frame on her face that's like slightly like motion blurred. I was going you know, to say, like, did you when you watched that? Did you feel like something was wrong with your TV? Maybe for like a split second, but I said, I was like, oh, po- did something freeze? I said at this point, I'm already, I've already seen so much crazy shit that, like, I'm sure it was purposeful. Um, yeah. there, there was a certain sense of experimentalism that they used in this film that I was like, all right, okay. But he he sends uh, his people out to to get her. He says, I want that woman. I want you to get her for me. And you know, again, he doesn't. He doesn't talk about somebody like. Um, he doesn't talk to talk about her in terms of like, oh, I thought she was an interesting person, and I, you know, I want to get to know her. It was like, I just want her. Yeah, I, it I was just like want almost her. pure. I, I mean, I would say fueled by probably lust. Absolutely, um, absolutely. Or, you know, and her her aura or allure or whatever you want to call it. But um, yeah, there was no, no other way around it. There's no other way to see it. Um, it and we, just... we see that they have these, uh, these tools oh. and one of them is called the horn of a Braxis. And they do this really interesting thing that anytime they show one of these like artifacts, there's, there's the horn of a Braxis and then there's like a knife. I forget the, what he calls the blade that he, uses later in it but he um they whenever they show these artifacts that the cult has there's like this strobing green flashing light yeah really kind of shows like and makes it seem like it's an otherworldly thing and it lends itself to the almost like fantastical parts of this um 
I actually but, Googled it. So an abraxas is a real thing. I don't know what half of these words mean on this Wikipedia page um, because there's a lot of things. And there's like some mom can pick me up. I'm scared. I mean, yeah, there's also some kind of imagery that I don't like what I'm seeing. So I don't want to go further into that. I hate shit like this, man. Like I oh, hate God. I hate religious uh, themed or like uh, culture themed <laughs> horrors. They are like not they are not my cup of tea at all. Let me tell you, they're like. Ah, uh, I, I, I need to delete my search history. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! But um, so so yeah, so um, the the was it uh, brother Swan and them? They go out and they they find these people, these like what they call like demon bikers, uh, who are called the we we don't know this yet in the movie, but they're called the Black Skulls. And they, these they, don't, dudes, they don't find them. They summon them with, yeah, with so the he, horn of Abraxas. Yeah, and that is some wild sh- The The sound that the horn makes when he blows it is so creepy. But I love he goes back and they're sitting in the car. They're like, okay, we got to wait now. And, and uh, It's like the small moment where he's just fidgeting with the windows like, dude, yeah. you got to like, cut this shit out. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's great. It's, it's kind of like our first touch of like humor in the movie that there, I'm just there like, are a few like, moments, but it's like, you know, there's, it's almost like they're subtle. Uh, well, actually, no, I don't want to say they're subtle, but like, they just happen at like the right times. And it, was, just... it was the first moment where I was just kind of like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it was funny. And then, Oh my God, they show up. So I love the way that, um, the movie, uh, I, I guess I'll give it to Loeb on the cinematography on this, where, as the um, black skulls are approaching, you see their headlights through the fog, and the headlights look like anguished, pained faces made of light. Yeah. And as they come in closer, you're like, "Oh, okay, they're headlights and stuff." And um, these these guys are the most metal looking creatures. Uh, their names are they- Scratch, Scabs, and Pig. They're on their way. I don't know if you, Billy, you have to blur that out if it's a name. I don't know. Maybe uh, we'll say a fornicate pig. Frick um, pig. Frick pig. There you go. Um, but, you know, they, they do look like they're on their way to a Slipknot concert. That's for sure. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess, you know, the, the rationale that's given to uh, Red later in the movie is that these guys just took some really bad acid. And, and it and messed basically- them up for good. They mess them up for good. They love the pain, and like they, like the, one of them is just covered head to do to toe in like metal like beams that are like all driven through his body and stuff. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, they they're kind of just like a force of nature. And what, what is that series of of Batman comics where it's like the the one that oh, laughs uh, and like like uh, metal DC Batman heavy metal. metal. Or whatever it is, like it, it almost looks kind of like like those Jokers. Yeah, I mean, I'm not really familiar with them. It's they some, look like Joker, but I guess they're Batman or I don't know what. It's um, some BDSM Mad Max shit is what it yeah. is, and you know, God, like they give him like a glass of blood to drink, and then he's like, "More blood," and he's like, "Nah, ah, you got to help us out first. Is it blood or is it is it a, the thing of acid? Oh, maybe it was the acid. Oh, That's you're what, so I thought, right. I thought they gave him like the so jar right. of like the gray. Oh my god! And that dude, acid. that dude, like chugged all that acid. 
Yeah, I don't oh know. Oh my god, that's There's, intense. All right, so we, we should probably make this statement now, I guess, because you want to write we it. We here yeah. at Script or Screen do not condone the use of drugs. Um, so be uh, safe. If you, do, if you do it, be safe. Uh, but, you know, hugs and pugs, not drugs, because it, it, drugs aren't aren't cool. Especially uh, the ones that, are you know, come in, like, gray don't jars. Chug, don't chug a glass of acid, please. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't really... See the thing is that these guys—they were like in the trailer, and they made me think this movie would be super scary. They had really, actually, you know what was a great thing? Um, you know, we talked about like how the the film itself had like gave you like a, a great sense of like unease and a lot of the silence and just like it left you uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I think after we get their introduction and you know they're given their mission to grab Mandy or to get her rather. Yeah, they were they were told, hey, go get Mandy, and then. The the scene where they kidnap them is some disturbing ass shit, man. I mean, even even right before, it's like you know we're we're back at Red and Mandy's house, and then Red goes outside to smoke a cigarette and just looks into like the black of the forest that he's surrounded by, and then they go back in, and he's like, maybe we should move from here. You know, you yeah. I think I think that that's at the point where that happens. Maybe it happened a little earlier. Um, but she's like, no, I like our life here. Our life is great. And then, yeah, yeah. In the distance, like behind their TV, they you have like this great like Lost Boys vibe <laughs> with like the light behind them and their silhouettes appearing through the woods. It's like, it is so freaky. And then like there's that strobing effect when they like again like the flashing purple when they enter the house and. We get the close-up shots of Mandy and of uh, Red, and then they knock Red out. And yeah, the take terror Mandy in their away. eyes is something I will not forget. That is, um, this is this is again where we get what the big sad of the movie. Yeah. So uh, they're taken to the children of the New Dawn's like forest house. Are they and... their house, or are they tortured in their own home? Is that was it their own home? I, I thought it was at one point. I thought they just yeah, like you took know over you might be house. touching on you might be touching on things that I didn't even catch because I thought they got taken somewhere. But you I might mean, be I, absolutely w- right. Why else would Red know where his favorite shirt was? It's true. <laughs> okay, so fair enough. They um they are tortured in their own home. Uh, Mandy is given some heavy drugs and a wasp sting to the neck for good measure. Yeah. These people are insane. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is, I gotta say, I gotta hand it to Jeremiah here. This is an interesting technique on his way to manipulate people into joining his cause. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, budding and aspiring cult leaders. Take note. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Like, this is so weird. This was so freaky because, you know, so, they, yeah. He, this no, is the he, psychedelic part of this movie. So, this, yeah, this was probably like the most, like, interesting in terms of just, like, shot composition and stuff where or or like um i don't know if you would if it would fall under cinematography but like you know they the the reds of the not the character but the color um of the lighting it becomes so heavy and so saturated obviously to reflect mandy is you know being affected by some very intense drugs and uh, she's brought into the room where the rest of the children are, and um, Jeremiah is there, and he's got his big, like, weird, like, shoulder, pointy shoulder robe, 
And as he's moving and stuff, his body leaves like trails in the color. Yeah, so this is definitely... I I tried to to think about how they did this as well. This is either something they did in camera, which is they change either the frame rate or something Mm -hmm. to kind of, or or, um, the aperture as well. And to kind of give you like that trailing effect or what they did was they kind of put layers on top of each other in the edit um, and just mess with the transparency. So you kind of see it like almost going kind of in, because I know they, they mess with that later when you kind of see like the transparency between Jeremiah's face and then Mandy's reflection. And it's mm-hmm. all this like this mesmerizing pulsing almost. But so, the, yeah. the trailing of the walking, like super trippy and super um, experimental editing here that it, I think it, it really did sell the scene. Um, yeah. And of course, like you just mentioned, we get that amazing, just one of those things where you shake your head as you're watching and you're like, am I seeing what, what I'm seeing? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> where it's man it's a close up on Mandy's face or it's a close up on Jeremiah's and it slowly shifts to Mandy's face and then it slowly shifts back and it's one of those things that as it's happening you don't realize it until it's happened and then you go whoa 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 um it definitely messes with your head it with your perception and definitely puts you in that seat of um po- you know what Mandy's going through and then Jeremiah takes his dick out yeah I mean, up until starts... that point, up until that point, I'd say like that was probably like that's what sold me on that movie is like not the lighting. <laughs> I mean, some of the performances, it was just like this, these crazy effects, uh, and then he whips out his penis like have sex. He with just me. Un- he undoes the robe, and I'm like, how did I know it was gonna come here? And yeah, yeah, he basically says like, yeah, you're gonna worship me and stuff. He plays for some of his music, and it's like, oh, can I say sorry real fast for music? Uh, this movie started with a uh, a song by King Crimson, and I think that's fun. It was fun. I really enjoyed the track. Yeah. Um, but uh, going back, you know, he uh, he he undoes his robe and he's like rubbing himself as he's like, you know, trying to indoctrinate her. And Mandy, lovely Mandy, she just starts laughing. <laughs> she I... she just starts cackling like like a crazy person because it, it is kind of funny. I like um, how even under drugs, she realized how ridiculous and how idiotic he was. Honestly, yeah. I'm glad that, that that was that moment that we got that is like peak feminism. That is like, fuck this guy. She still yeah, has all control. And it's she's like, not going to she's not going to like buy into his bullshit. And then he is just goes from, you know, having this air of like, I'm in control. I am a god and stuff to being just the most pathetic excuse for a person he's like jerking off while he's like shut up shut up hey, well he i love he does this is the second joker part that he does in this the nolan Batman. he's like look at me look at me you know right. like yeah um but i mean also like she's embarrassing him in front of all his like yeah she's all his making followers him look like a chump and then he tells um, him like stop looking at me like turn turn away like yeah yeah it's, what do you want you want people to look at you or you want people to not look at you man come on just yeah, and and unfortunately, even though like that is an awesome moment for Mandy, it is Jeremiah. He feels like he has to like really then enforce himself basically because of that. So you know he has to make a power play uh, to show his dominance, and unfortunately for Mandy, that means she is burnt to death. Dude, this was so sad. 
Oh, oh, and I'm sorry, and he makes um, what's her name? Uh, Sister Lucy uh, play Russian Roulette. Another just not fun scene to watch. Like, and and I mean, they torture Red, right? They stab him. They oh. make him watch. They chain <laughs> yeah, him up. Yeah, that was that was a. Ugh. There's there was something a, a part of me that really made me want to like. One, this was this turned into torture porn really quick. Two, um, it also made me feel like. Oh my god! This can't be what actually happens in this movie. Like, there's no way in hell that this they're gonna commit to this. Like, and mm-hmm. um, unfortunately for me, I uh, that that was not the case. They they did it. They really did. And I'm like, Fuck. like these yeah. people are so. And I hate them. Yeah, the Mandy being burnt alive is pretty horrible. Um, and you know, there's, there's something to be said that a person, a character dying, especially a a woman dying in a movie shouldn't, the focus shouldn't be on, on the, on how it affects the man, but Nicolas Cage's performance here is maybe some of the best acting I've ever seen in a movie period. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I've never seen a loved one burnt to death in front of me, but I have to imagine that what he's going through is about accurate in terms of how it would affect you. Um, and I like that, you know, the scene, there is no, um, there's no sound. It's just like, it's just uh, Johansson's music, but you you don't need the sound. It's so powerful on just visuals alone yeah um i i want to get into kind of cage's performance at this point because i think like this part of the movie this scene in the in the next scene where like he is kind of dealing with the aftermath before the Mm -hmm. the big shift in the film um are probably what made me realize like i think this film really catered to Nick Cage's strengths as an actor versus Absolutely. some of the other work that I, I talked earlier. I think yeah. when I look at him and I look at some of the roles, you know, people expect him to say things, deliver lines in such a weird way that mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense for, for some of the characters or to play a role in, in a way that like, it's not him versus, versus this film. Uh, it, it plays a lot into his physicality. It plays into a lot of like, you know, how emotional he can get uh, both, I mean, like being the big sad boy and also as uh, like like really every emotion capable in his body that would, I mean, how would somebody react to a situation like, situation like this? Uh, mm-hmm. He then goes f- insane. Um, but, but even before then, it's, it's, it's the instant coping that he has to deal with where he shuts himself in the house and then he wakes up with the realization that, like, after he's escaped his chains, um, that he's been beaten. His wife has has been uh, savagely murdered and in front of his eyes, and he had to witness that. And yeah. he has nothing to both douse the physical pain that he's experiencing from his wounds and the emotional pain that he's going through. And he locks himself in the bathroom to one try to, I mean, one, he has to clean himself so to speak like yeah he's trying to stop his own personal bleeding while also uh he's drinking like himself. his pain and stuff and yeah like he didn't take the beer before but he definitely was trying to thin his blood 
after with whatever vodka or right, alcohol right. this was and, and beat himself to a pulp or really, I mean, also maybe even hype himself up uh, to, to kind of do what, what, he, must, next. what he felt must, must be done. And I mean, the, 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 to, to say like the acting here, you know, it's, it's strange cause he is just screaming, but you, you feel it and you understand it so well. It's like the tones and, that he's kind of giving out, you know, it's, it's like the, his veins are almost popping out of his arms, like in his you, rage. You can, and this guy's in fucking underwear and like a, and like a, a three quarter t-shirt, you know, whatever. And like, it's just covered in, in blood and. Also, he's in this really amazingly decorated so, bathroom. Yeah, I was going to say, what what I love about this is this is, I think, the first time in the movie where a scene is shot without any stylistic flourishes. It's just a single take. We see the bathroom in pretty normal lighting. And it's almost like for for this scene and the next scene uh, of the movie, we... Uh, who was I? I was, I was listening to a review... Uh, of this film, but they talk about how this is kind of the movie lets us come up for air for a second, yeah, and just and just have a few scenes where everything is relatively normal, and that grounds us for the incredible depths we are about to dive down into. Um, but yeah, just Nicolas Cage. This this scene is just pure distilled Nicolas Cage fantastic wonder <laughs> like when people say that this was his best performance I want to say it's because of the, this like 10 minutes that we spend in, in that period of time yeah um, and and it's I think it yeah you know, I don't know if I said this about the scene earlier but this might actually be one of my favorite scenes in the entire film it, yeah absolutely yeah absolutely it's it's so raw and um, and, and now we kind of we kind of come to a place where Okay, breaks over. The film yeah. now begins. I, I was going to say, I wanted, I wanted, yeah, I wanted to touch on two things. One is the commercial for Cheddar Goblin Mac and Cheese uh, was directed by Casper uh, Kelly, who did the the short for Adult Swim called Too Many Cooks, which, if you haven't seen it, is amazing. Um, was one of the weirdest things for uh, Adult Swim when it came out, and it's fantastic it's hilarious and um we get the first of of um red's dream sequences that are heavy heavy and uh they draw heavy inspiration from the animated uh heavy metal uh cartoon from back in the day and so i just you know wanted to call out those two things because those i think are really awesome south park you know did a really funny episode where they riffed on heavy metal um and it's it's cool to see this this movie wearing its inspirations on its sleeve i i mean it was uh an interesting kind of takeaway not takeaway i didn't bring me out of the movie i usually don't get brought out of movies or taken out but i was like oh this is an interesting uh sequence that we're watching here yeah um and and it it plays on to some of this uh you know we now the film then doesn't just become this horror also sad and also introspective piece, but it includes a, uh, we start pulling into like a little more fantasy. You yeah, know, absolutely. Oh yes. Cause, cause where we're going, uh, is, we don't need is, roads. 
Right. Uh, as I wrote, uh, to quote the great Anakin Skywalker, this is where the fun begins. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, listen, let's, I, if we, we come and we finally <laughs> are introduced to, to Bill Duke's Carruthers. character, Carruthers, and uh, I mean, listen, this is where we get the, the iconic uh, just plain Oh, what does he say? Something evil? I forget what um, the words. Just incredible evil. Just or... uh, these were bikers and gnarly psychos and crazy evil. Crazy evil. That's what it is. Yeah, um, and and Carruthers helps shine some light on just who these people are. Um, I feel like typically once you start explaining stuff, it makes things less scary. But the way he describes the Black Skulls. Um, it's it's you know it's pretty pretty freaky he talks about you know like you know gutted bodies on doorsteps and he talks about um uh how you know what you're going hunting for is rabid animals um so like you know we know right right away like these are dangerous people this is like this isn't someone you would want to mess with on on your best day yeah uh, I mean, I was afraid. I was, and um, but he gets his his crossbow called the Reaper, and Carruthers gives him these like specially made arrows that just rip through bone and tissue like nothing. And then don't you like Ray, how he only gives him like two? Yeah, he's like, he's like I got use, something for you. Use them sparingly, like, right? He does. I I mean, he makes his shots count, and um, then we get um, Red forging his fucking battle axe this is um, the excalibur of this story except he doesn't yeah. have to find it he makes it himself right he forges you know? it apparently the axe the shape of it was meant to be based on the letter f that was used in the um the celtic frost celtic frost yeah the um they're an extreme metal band i did and i did so, read about that so it's very cool um yeah it's this is kind of like his his Excalibur, his his light bringer, his badass uh, fantasy weapon, and with you know once that's crafted, he is off on the hunt, and he he smart man, he goes straight for the most dangerous enemies first, try to get him out of the picture, the black skulls, and um, I like it. He takes out one of them uh, on the road, and then runs his car into the guy, and the guy, I guess he kills him, but the dude destroys his car right i mean also not to mention he i'd like to think about it. it's his trusty steed the ford bronco uh <laughs> i have my reservations about that because honestly what a great car why would you trash that car not like the new crap they gave us but you know uh, that was intense that was and i didn't think that be anything i would say that i was like okay I what is say... movie over <laughs> right i would say crashing the bronco is not the not the craziest thing he'll do for the in the in the rest of this movie, but um, but he wakes up and he's in he's like captured by by the black skulls. I don't know which one is pig, I, but I don't know the actually, names of either of them. But like, I think the one he kills in the living room is pig, because uh, he has a knife dick thing going on. But um, but you know he, I it was like when I was watching it. We uh, we started this episode in the cold open talking about uh, Friedrich Nietzsche and like that the quote from Beyond Good and Evil, 
um, about you know when you fight monsters you become you risk becoming a monster and you know when you look into the abyss and the the abyss gazes into you and that was what I was thinking when I was watching the scene it was just like it was like this feels like you know if you are going to take these things on you have to become a monster and as if to to uh, reward me for my for my you know how I was reading into the movie, uh, Red literally kicks the Black Skull into a literal abyss. He's right? lucky that just... they're a product of their environment because they don't upkeep that place. And so he's like, oh, Rusty Pipe? I can get out of this quick and use it as a weapon. <laughs> um, but, I mean, the rampage he goes on in this home. Uh, well, what and, is he uh, saying when he fights home. the guy? What's the, what, is he going, give me my, where's my shit? <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know what's going through his head, but at, well, the only thing I can I can think about is just rage, 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 and it's just like yeah. kill all these motherfuckers around me because they deserve every piece of. I mean, and he was given the warnings too, um, like you know, you're you're walking into you know you don't have a, a large possibility, a, a percentage right, chance yeah, he's of survival. You're probably gonna die if you do this. Yeah, and he's like, "I don't give a shit." Yeah, at this point, what 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 else does he have? But um, but I, yeah. I, so he, he, oh my god, he fights the guy in the living room, cuts his throat open, and the blood just starts spewing on his face. Listen, I love it when you know if the movie has earned it, when a movie just cuts loose and is like. We're going to do every twisted, weird thing we can think of because we've earned it. Um, I'm, I'm on board and I get, I get so like, like just, just happy with, with what I'm watching. So when he was fighting these dudes, I was like, oh yes, come on, like do the weird, absurd thing. I mean, well, the weirdest part about this whole thing is after he got rid of the first two guys in the house, he's like, oh, they have cocaine here. (laughs) Let, why not? That'll help me out. And, and with he my doesn't reflexes. do a bump. He doesn't do a bump. He doesn't do a line. He takes like a big sheet of glass and just, you know, snorts a, a small hill of cocaine. And and then not to mention that he finds the uh, the infamous uh, mason jar of the gray acid, <laughs> and he's like, "Let's do some of this too. Why not?" You know, and that's crazy. He goes from the like. We said before he goes from the guy that you know he doesn't want the alcohol. He's like exactly, fine, but he's like no, all my vices are going to help me. They will give me strength right now in these moments. <laughs> it's it's like um, I always think of uh, what is it uh, Wolf of Wall Street when uh, Jonah Hill's character is choking and um, oh they need name? to take the cocaine in order they, for him they to... need to do the <laughs> in order to to give him like a Heimlich or whatever and the Popeye music starts playing yeah. Um, but yeah, so he basically burns out. I feel like his identity, his his true self, with the acid, because we see like the shot of like his interior self melting away. Yeah, and the, uh, yeah. again with a psychedelic imagery here. Yeah. So when that happens, uh, he has only one other person left uh, in the Black Skulls, who's like out just sitting by a burning car. And he shoots him through the neck with one of those arrows. And the, props to the dude. He just tanks it. Yeah, I guess. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't know what the holy creature uh, could survive something like that. But, you know, why not? 
But I, th- uh, I think it just ends kind of even better, like after they kind of do their little fight have, of their yeah. back and forth. Oh my yeah. god, when when he cut the dude's head off, and like the dude's like, you know, the guy's already caught on fire, and he cuts his head off, and he finds the cigarette, but it's not lit. I'm like, oh my god, please, please just light it with his burning head, please. And he did it, and I was so happy. Yeah. Which is weird to say. It is a very weird thing to say, but this is what the movie does to you. Is you, you watch it and you're like, yes. I I gotta say, it was uh these there's there's these small uh fan satisfactory moments that we get. And now uh <laughs> that was one of them. I, I loved in your notes. It's like every after every awesome moment, you're like, that's fucking awesome. That's great. <laughs> Dude, did you see this? Like I saw it, buddy. I saw it. I enjoyed <laughs> Dude, it. I loved it. The back half of this movie, I was I was so on board for it, and because um, because the first half, uh, if we didn't have that first half where we really get to know these characters and really get the, the to feel them and and see who they are and see the horrible things that they're put through and really grow to hate the black skulls and the children of the new dawn, if we didn't have that, this back half would be meaningless. But we got it, and it's the movie is it it knows that that is a like a catharsis that there is a a release that you get when you when you see these things happen. Yeah, uh, you know um, that's that's kind of weird because our next kind of I guess the way that the film kind of does this little trajectory. I don't know why we went to the next scene, you know, where he visited <laughs> the chemist and how I forget like the, is there a reason well, that he, he went there? I guess he, he's following the trail, so. The chemist works with the children. He gives them the acid. They give it to the black skulls. So he, the chemist will know where the where the children are. But so he, he didn't goes there. Tell him exactly, did he? He just like read his energy or whatever the fuck. Yeah. Listen, at this point, it's so fantastical that like <laughs> that like you know it's whatever. I I was I just kind of wrote it off. I thought it was funny. Um, but yeah, the guy's like, oh, you want me to, to let the tiger go? And he lets him go. Apparently, um, at one point, Lizzie, the tiger was actually a lizard. And then one day during, uh, when, when, um, uh, what's the actor's name? Um, this is the one that plays the chemist. Yeah. Richard Brake. Um, he said one day he came in and, uh, cause, uh, Cosmatos was like, oh, actually now we're, now he's a, it's a tiger. <laughs> So. Oh, okay. That's just that's fine. But it led to one of my favorite shots in the uh, film. So he learns from the uh, from the chemist that um the the children of the New Dawn are north, just a v- very vague direction. Head north, you'll find them. Yeah. Um, uh, I love his line. Where he says, "You exude a cosmic darkness." And, and then um, it's like you see the, all the bugs and worms at his feet. Yeah, like yeah. Um, well, there's something to be said that like all everything that that uh, Red is doing is kind of his like apotheosis into a god. Yeah. Um, but uh, I love the shot right after where it's like the tiger against like a full moon and everything's bathed in red and the tiger just roars in slow motion. And I'm just like I, I I love the just the metal fantasy like imagery that this that this movie is chocked full of. 
Yeah, it's it, they really know how to play on all the surreal aspect and just really kind of just kind of make you feel how awesome this entire experience is. You know, yeah. this this is the awesome half of the movie. The first half is for the film lovers. The second half is for all you awesome people out there. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, Red he tracks he tracks the children down. He uses the caltrops to to get to brother swan and uh sister lucy brother swan that that death ugh, when he when he's got the the end of the battle axe like in his mouth i liked and, it and the guy's trying to I, like be I, like I wanted, that, do- I, I wanted that axe to be used like so much more than i think it was though right. I, I think it had some off-screen use too now that i think about it <laughs> but i love when he yeah it, it definitely did um but he says like, like oh the darker the whore the brighter the flame and then uh oh my god red said red applies a bit, he applies a bit more pressure and just kills the dude he lets lucy go and i thought that he did that because he saw that she was being treated like like a tool basically like hot garbage i mean it was after you pointed it out to me like i didn't realize that the whole russian roulette moment that she was included in earlier like mm-hmm. she, yeah, she had that hesitant look on her, like, oh shit, like he wants me to do this, like I don't really want to, but I guess I will. Right, that, right. I didn't even realize, like I thought that was, I thought he maybe let her go because I don't know, maybe she reminded him of Mandy or something like that. Like she's like, oh, no, I think, she's young I think he like he recognized her as just as much of a victim. Okay, um, so I mean, listen, I hope she realizes what a privilege that was versus the fate that the rest of her, uh, her esteemed cult met you know yeah, right. we'll find out in mandy too electric boogaloo oh but um, I, I that would be interesting if there was a second one you never a, know a, a prequel if you will <laughs> an animated spinoff oh god um so i again so red goes after like the he's going after the cult he kills the one the window guy um the guy who's playing with the uh, car window. And that's the shot I was talking about where he throws the act and you see it spinning through the air and it really looks like something out of like a a crappy 80s like schlock film. I think I saw something like that in Friday the 13th. I, yeah, I honestly it, think I did. But the act like embeds in the dude's head and you see blood just spray everywhere. And then... Yeah, we, we get like the beautiful silhouette of that too. Yeah. And then we get to um, another part where I was just, you know, the... The, when, who's got the bigger chainsaw? Well, they show so they show Klopik, the um, brother Klopik, and he they they have an establishing shot that shows that there's a chainsaw there, and Red grabs it, and I'm said, and as he's approaching uh, Klopik, and he's like, you know, pulling the the rip cord and trying to get the chainsaw going, and Klopik bends down, and I'm like, oh my god, please pull out a chainsaw and have a chainsaw fight. You know, and the second he did, I was like, yes. And it was a bigger one, too. It was definitely like also a fight for masculinity here. Or right. like t- toxic male, uh, whatever you want to call it. Then and, and very Gears of War-esque, too. They were kind of going at it. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Gears of War, but they have like the chainsaw guns. Yeah, the, um, uh, I think they call it the Lancer. The Lancer. Oh, man, what a tool. What a tool. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know... Uh, uh, Red being a logger by profession, he knows his way around a chainsaw and is clearly, obviously, the better chainsaw fighter. I was going to say the, the, the better chainsawman. <laughs> right, exactly. He's the better sawman. And um, But then, 
I didn't know that this movie was going to go even more Nicolas Cage than it already was because he loses the chainsaw and uh, Klopik's coming at him and he takes a chain, just a, a literal heavy chain and starts whipping it around his head. And I said, is Ghost Rider... <laughs> it is it is Johnny Blaze Ghost Rider, and he and, whips it. And now it people and he, know why we titled the name of the episode "Mandy: uh, The Spirit of Vengeance." Yes, right. Uh, I saw it. I said, I said, I have the title already in my head. But um, uh, God, he he grabs the guy around the neck and he pulls him into the chainsaw that's laying on the ground, and oh, just loved it. We Love really it. did get the third installment in the uh, in the Ghost Rider trilogy, guys. It was, great. A, it was a surprise it, sequel. It, it was a sleeper trequel, or, or a sequel, sequel, whatever you want to call it. Trilogy. Um, tri- yeah, there you go. That's, uh, dude, don't you just love when a plan comes together? Exactly. And then, um, he so he heads into this, like, uh, very auspicious uh, triangular uh, crucifix-adorned church uh, uh thanks to one I guess, Ari Aster. I guess most actually, church. i guess which one did it first Ari Aster in in midsummer or um when did or midsummer this film come out? i think so they, they i like to correct myself um so mandy came out first but oh there you go um i, I said crucifix uh with the church all churches have crucifixes on them but uh so i love he goes down he he starts heading in deep. I think he takes a second to kind of like read their scripture, but um, he goes down and uh, Mother Marlene attempts to seduce him, which I'm like, uh, she's like, she's like, I was always told I was the most sensual and stuff, uh, but Red is she's, an interesting... Yeah, she's like the first person to try mental tactics on like a loose cannon right now, and I just can't help think like, well, if, if funny enough, Jeremiah didn't see it, but you know, if it wasn't going to work the first time, definitely it wasn't going to work <laughs> yeah. the second time. Well, as, well, I, I I like to imagine we don't see it because it cuts away from it. Yeah. But I'd like to imagine that Red sat her down and was like, "I'm sorry, I'm too hopped up on cocaine and bad acid to to, <laughs> to accept your uh, request." But yeah, he uh, doesn't. You offer he me doesn't, head, and I'll take it. it. Exactly. He gets a little head, and. Um, he ends up throwing her head at the feet when, of Jeremiah. When Jeremiah sees it and he screams, like he's like, "Ah, oh, shit!" <laughs> I'm just like, "Yeah, dude, what did you think was gonna happen?" What are, I mean, dude, uh, that's what I'm saying. Like, I know that the axe got more use than what we saw, but if there were, if there was a moment that I want to see, like that axe do some really badass shit, like that would have probably been a great moment. Um, yeah, it just you know, and then Jeremiah tries to talk him down. I don't know who the hell he's fooling. Um, he tries to say some spiritual shit, but it is, you know, uh, just, it, there's no reasoning with, with him at that point. And I love the line that uh, Red delivers here where he is a pro, he's like moving in on uh, Jeremiah and he says, a psychotic drowns where the mystic swims. You're drowning, I'm swimming. Oh, man. That that's the role reversal right there. There there they go. So, he's finally he's finally engaged with Zorp. He is he is Bud Hole. Um, yes. I I mean I I think you know it's funny I I do want to talk about the parallel between um, 
I, I don't want to call her Mabel. God, what was her name again? We just said it. Oh, Marlene. Marlene, but, you know, then Jeremiah kind of gets on his knees like, oh, suck your dick, man. Like, dude. <laughs> and um, then... Uh... I get Linus Roach. You know, great dude. Like, he really played that part to the best of his ability. And Absolutely. I And I think he had... If he doesn't get more things, more roles because of this, of, like, creepy weird guy, um, <laughs> you know, because he, he could play it. And I really like I really liked it. Yeah, he uh, he he did a really great job. And then Red goes all Gregor Clegane on him and crushes his head with his bare hands. That was kind of awesome. That was yeah. pretty awesome. I uh, and and like I appreciated that, that the the children of the children of the New Dawn are no more. And uh, um, Red sets fire. To the big triangle building again, kind of like midsummer. Uh, it ends with a big triangular building up in flames. And uh, as Red drives away, he has this flashback to to Mandy, and he hallucinates Mandy in the car with him. And the the look on his face is like he's gone. Red Red is no longer there. This is this is a monster that's been left behind. Yeah, like, I, I guess we get, like, that one soft moment where it's, like, he sees Mandy sitting next to him and on the his drive home, if you will. I guess home. And then he, we get that drive creepy... Wherever. Yeah, I don't know where, but we get that smile. Um, yeah, and I guess this brings me to, like, my final thoughts of the film and going back to that original question that you, you posed in a way, like, you know, like, uh, with with Nick Cage engaging in savagery, like, how would Mandy feel about it or what, what are the the role reversal would have looked like because she might have not taken the same route he did. This, this film left me uh, utterly surprised, uh, but also with an overwhelmingly sense of like, just sadness. This was such a sad tale. Like it was awesome and it's spectacle. And yeah, it was really badass in the second half of the film. Like, Oh yeah, of course it's, it's you, you hate to see someone go through this like self-destructive, exactly um, uh rampage that like and you know they're not gonna come out of it okay he, he he was broken to his core and he was left but a shell of a man uh and he was much different and i love that the quote that that you kind of used for for this and that you brought to us um from our boy friedrich uh if you will um, right. because he is a monster now you know like yep. and and the film does not ask any further questions it's, it is it's answered that like Red is happy, kind of that he's he's finished his quest. It is over, and there's there's not left there's nothing to ponder at the end except for the audience like me. Like I'm just left with thinking like, dude, what will he do now? Like what? Like yeah. and, and the film has engaged me to think that way. Like how what is what is he supposed to do at this point? And and you know like how would Mandy feel like about that? Like she wouldn't want. I don't think she would have liked how this would have ended in that way. Like that he has become the man that she, that maybe that, I don't she know. That might, she she might not recognize, she might not recognize him. Yeah, dude. Uh, when, when he, um, when, if she were to ever see him again, but yeah. like all he has now is his like memory of her. And we see that, you know, it ends with this like look on the landscape that has now become warped and into like almost a fantasy world with like planets in the skies and stuff yeah. and 
you know, these these spiky mountain peaks and stuff. And you're that's, saying that, that's our fantasy right there. The, the world of logic and reason and reality are gone. And all that's left is this this monster in his own like world of delusions. And, you know, yeah, it's like you said, like it's it's sad, but it's like, you know, if a person meant that much to you, would you be willing to destroy yourself to to get them justice? Dude, that's like that's the thing, you know, like that that is a uh, un uh the ability to uh, what is the the word or the phrase I'm looking for like to to not give in or not not to not get give in. Um, I I can't think of the phrase right now. You know and I, and I love like to be undeniably changed or or rather to be changed, like to, to, to set forth with that ideal. Ah, like that's, this movie is, is, is where art and, yeah. and introspection meets like, uh, fucking awesome. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what yeah, else. It's, that's, it's... that's why I really like this movie. I really like that we did, that we did this and had this experience of watching this. Um, uh, yeah, I, I waited, I waited long to watch it. You waited a while to watch it. And I think, um, yeah, it sucks that we didn't get to see this in theaters, but, this movie meant so much more to me than what I feel like people were hyping it up for. And and it's because of all these reasons that we just talked about, like all these kind of smaller nuanced moments and, and things like this. And the way it made me feel after the fact, I always love the way if a movie makes me contemplate it after it, I finished, like I talked about the lobster, how you say it's just funny. I'm like, dude, that movie made me just think a lot after I saw it. Like, Oh man, this did this, this did the same thing. It's yeah. it was just a really successful piece of art and 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 film. I don't know, yeah, dude. I, I, really I totally agree. I totally I'd recommend agree. it to everybody listening. Yeah, if you yeah, if you have a chance it to watch it, <laughs> it's it's uh it's a great film. I can't wait to see the next uh the next film by uh uh oh god what you need um, help Cosmatos. <laughs> yeah, and so. Panos Cosmatos. So yeah, um, that is our uh, our Valentine's Day. Uh, uh, I forget why this episode. is so relevant around Valentine's Day. Because it's it, about a loving couple that uh, that are together, and and the lengths that someone would go for someone that they love. Dude, would you go the lengths for Rosie, the uh, the Golden Girl herself? For my, if someone killed my dog, they best be ready. Would you go to... like on a, on a John Wick rampage? Actually, no. John Wick. It's a great parallel to this film. So now that I think about it, like, dude. Uh, yes. If if someone if someone killed my dog, I would go full John Wick mode. Yeah, I think I would too. I honestly like I would disregard all law, all rule, any yeah. codes. I would be I would be but a shell of a man. Um. So. Well, with that, <laughs> with that uh, fun fun sentiment uh, out of the way, um, I think I think we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up for this for this episode of Script or Screen. Happy um, Valentine's Day to yes. the lovely listeners, uh, or happy have I hope we hope you had a happy Valentine's Day. Uh, we know we did. Um, Probably, and if you like this episode, be sure to. Share it with your friends on all your favorite social medias. We're at Scripture Screen, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. 
you can go to scripturescreen.com or anchor.fm forward slash scripturescreen to find us on all your favorite audio listening platforms. Yeah, make sure you comment and uh, and share with everybody. Comment, tell us what you want to see. Tell us about your favorite movies, your favorite Nicolas Cage performances, and uh, suggest what you'd like to hear us talk about in future films. Remember, future, Mandy future was... Films, future was episodes. A, there you go. Mandy was a fan-recommended episode, and maybe your fan recommendation can make it to air next time. That is all, everybody. My name is Christopher Kitchen. That has been Zach Strackman. We will see you next time. Bye.